Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Rilston and we're recording on a Friday afternoon. And I'm joined by my partner in crime, Samuel Lucas. Samuel, how are you today? I'm not bad, thank you. How are you? Uh, I'm a bit sore, to be honest, after football last night. I think that's showing my age now. I hadn't played in two months. This morning I was walking like a like a pensioner. A bit stiff and sore. How are you? You all right? Yeah, I, I I had a bit of a back complaint going into uh, last night's five aside, but uh, I'm 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 creaking. I'm 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 a lot older than you, so it's 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 to be expected. I'm, I I think I need uh, my own recovery days down at down at Carrington after five aside. You are triple my age, to be fair, and you did compare your back to, to maybe moving like Gary Pallister. But I said that would probably be yeah, harsh to Gary Pallister. Get in that way, yeah. <laughs> anyway, Samuel, plenty to talk about today. Um, the big story really this week, it's been dominating the club, Mason Greenwood and the handling of that situation. A statement from the club was published on Wednesday afternoon and they said the fact-finding phase of the investigation is now over and that they're in the final stages of their decision. We discussed uh, Greenwood and his possible return uh, in the podcast previously, but can you kind of touch on that statement for us, please, briefly, to start the podcast and kind of explain why the decision has been delayed? Because we expected it before the Wolves game, didn't we, which was obviously played on Monday night. Uh, we did until last week, really. It was becoming clearer from the communication from the club that they were going to miss this deadline that they had imposed and they've tried to row back on that um, to the point that they've given the impression that they didn't set the deadline but they did no it wasn't journalists setting the deadline it was people at Manchester United who said all along that the decision would be communicated before the start of the season and whatever start of the season meant whether it meant Burnley City on the Friday night or United's first first game of the season against Wolves that that deadline has well and truly passed in terms of the statement they put out on Wednesday, it, w- when that dropped, I thought, "Oh, this this is it now. This is the, um, the the lengthy statement communicating their decision on him." And of course, there was there was not a decision mentioned within it. It was it was very carefully worded. But that that statement was only released because of a story that um, that was done by by Adam Crafton uh, about Chief Executive Richard Arnold uh, filming a video on, on 4th of August uh, with the intention of communicating to club staff that Mason Greenwood would be retained by Manchester United and would eventually be reintegrated in the first team squad. That story is accurate. I've I've sourced that myself as well. Um, subsequently, United did communicate details about their investigation into Greenwood, but uh, f- for one reason or another they didn't want them to come into the public domain inevitably they have come into the public domain uh via via different outlets or different journalists a journalist last week in in their piece on greenwood 
stated that the decision would be taken by uh, the chief executive Richard Arnold, which was accurate, which was known by club correspondents. But we were asked not to not to run with that uh, that information, uh, which is perplexing given that. The journalist who whose, whose information featured that, um, I can't remember the last time they were at a United game or got close to a United game. And then you've got United correspondents who go on pre-season tours, go on European aways, go to press conferences every week, go to matches every week, who, who are essentially, you know, know the club or we try to know the club inside out. We were um, we were told we couldn't run with that, but then an individual it was it was fine for them to to put it in their piece. So th- the whole handling of the situation that gives gives you a picture, an idea that this situation is is starting to unravel in terms of a communications aspect, uh, the inability to communicate it, uh, the inability to um, publicise that decision. I think we all know what that decision will be. And it just feels like for the last few weeks, month, maybe longer, that United have been agonising and strategising as to how best and how to most delicately communicate their decision. Because whatever the decision is, there is going to be quite quite, quite a vociferous backlash. Uh, you, you've already seen already uh, female protesters outside the stadium who are against Mason Greenwood's return. There's a high-profile uh, supporter, female supporter, and Rachel Riley, who has, has said that she won't support United. Uh, a lifelong United fan, she said she won't support the club again if Greenwood comes back. Rachel Riley has had numerous engagements, official engagements, with the club as well. She's done stuff for MUTV. She's done um, broadcasting uh, engagements with the club as well. So although she's an external... Um, voice she is as internal and external voice as you could get and she's saying that she'll turn her back on United if Greenwood's reintegrated and so this is essentially why is it delayed there is what I was told in the week before this story came out on Wednesday uh, I think in fact I was told it last week was that there were internal grumblings that needed needed addressing I think the the women's team uh, the, the women's players playing at the World Cup, uh, that that just seems like a convenient excuse. And it's not that convenient either. It's it's a pretty... Um, it, it's, it just seems like such an easy thing to reach for and excuse uh, the, the delay. It, it gives the impression that they should have the final say, that, they, uh, that, that, that men shouldn't have the final say. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. Everyone's uh, view on this matter is equal and I know it's delicate but the timing of the World Cup being cited as an excuse for this delay is preposterous and really it, it will probably look even worse if say say this this decision comes out next week now uh, hypothetically when Mary Earps, Ella Toon and Katie Zellum have the World Cup final on Sunday and you've got this possibility of them coming back with their World Cup medals and but coming back into a, a, a bit of a firestorm, really, uh, given what's what's unravelling at United. I just feel as though the, the whole process has gone on far too long. The decision sh- should have been communicated in early to mid-June, as soon as the FA Cup final was finished, maybe, because they should have concluded it by then. This whole notion that it was a really busy season last season, we had a lot of games and we're now focused on this... That didn't wash with me even then. This is 
this is a more important decision than football results and than transfers. And Manchester United haven't given that impression whatsoever. They've played their games. They've got their players in in the transfer window. They're three key players. And this Mason Greenwood decision has still not been communicated to stakeholders, supporters, uh, journalists, whatever. So uh, although a lot of United supporters are getting frustrated and a a lot of supporters have uh, voiced their disapproval of the way the club are handling it, I, I I can well and truly assure them that it's also shared by journalists. You know, those women who protested Old Trafford before the Wolves game Monday night were very brave. Uh, a lot of courage to do that and um, to stand outside the stadium and make their voices heard. I spoke to someone from the group, obviously, before the game, before we headed into the press box. And that interview is coming out tomorrow morning, so Saturday morning, uh, as we're speaking here. Um, I guess, I call it, well, a concern, it was disappointing as well to see the statement released um, around the same time, on, on the same day as the Lionesses progressed to the final, obviously, of their World Cup in Australia. Um, that was another criticism uh, of the club. But I guess they'd argue that the hands were tied to a certain extent, as you've obviously discussed there in your, in your answer, Samuel. Well, but very well said. They 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 had to they they felt well they had to respond. Uh, if a journalist comes to them um, and gives them a right of reply to uh, a story that was you know very much in the public interest, they they had to respond to that. And the, the timing of it, I, I would I'd say, it was pretty. You know, it's it's moot. It doesn't matter that. There was a game on during the day uh, that featured women players. I think you have to say that, the equation. But the way they went about handling that was not right because that statement was shared with all of the journalists who cover Manchester United rather than just that journalist. Uh, So however way you look at it, it's been a communications cock-up this week and the, 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 the toughest part of it is yet to come um you know it's it's immensely frustrating for a number of reasons and you know at the moment nobody is 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 coming out of it particularly well and a lot of people whether you're whether you're a female player whether you're a female supporter whether you're a journalist whoever it's a very diverse range Uh, i think everybody is pretty uh dissatisfied with with how it's playing out yeah, completely. And obviously the Glazers have delegated the decision to Richard Arnold. He's going to make the final call on Mason Greenwood's future. Um, and we'll just move on to the Glazers and Samuel, you wrote a line today um, that there's a real concern that the Glazers won't actually sell the club. And I don't think that's much of a shock, is it really? The club was put up for sale or there was a strategic review announced in November last year. We're almost, I mean, it's come to a year. In a couple of months' time, it'll be a year since since that announcement was made. And there seems to be no resolution in sight, really. So uh, could you give an update on that line as well, uh, please, Samuel? Because you wrote that Sheikh Jassim is obviously awaiting a response still, isn't he? And it's that's just another example, really, of a, a process rumbling on. It's very unsatisfactory as well. It's it confirmed having spoken to the relevant people. It just confirmed what everybody had had suspected, in that the Glazers have been extremely dilatory over the whole situation. There's no urgency. When we were in New York, we spoke to. I mean, we weren't staying that far away from Wall Street, so we had a, a wander down there. I'd, I'd been down there before, but it's it's obviously a unique part of the city, and it, being in that circle, you're bound to get 
um, there's, there's the off chance that you're going to talk to someone who's who's aware of the strategic review and uh, how 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 um, United supporters are feeling about it and the grumblings about it as well. And really, the New York Stock Exchange, there's some financiers think that they should intervene because a strategic review should never take this long. So that was written last month. Um, you know, I think a lot of people involved with the bidding process are getting quite weary because, as they as they told me, it has been a long process. Uh, there have been some suggestions that you know it, it could be that there could be some kind of deal finalised into the season. We'll have to wait and see with that. But the view from uh, Sheikh Hassim's side is that they've still not had not a view. They've just not had any communication from the Glazers. Uh, since since they submitted that last bid, which I think would have been in was it late May time or early June time, uh, it w- w- whatever month it was, it feels like a long time ago, uh, and that's because this whole process has has just been so inordinate, and I don't think any of us. Uh, even as familiar as we are with the way the Glazers operate, I think any of us thought we'd be in this position after it was announced back in November that United would not only just still be under the Glazers' ownership, but this thing would still, that there'd still be no resolution to it as well. Uh, the Sheikh Hassim bid, the Qatari bid, it's been described as a premium offer. It remains on the table. And really the next step are for the, uh, the would-be sellers, I suppose, because they, they never said outright that there would be a full sale of Manchester United when that strategic review was announced in November. The next step are for those would-be sellers um, to, you know, to, to actually engage in conversation. And, and all the, the Qataris can do, and Sheikh Hassim can do at the moment, is, is wait. Uh, there, are, there are other things on the grapevine that... You know, suggest otherwise, or you know, people might hear different things. But f- this this is coming, you know, straight from people involved in uh, Sheikh Hassim's bidding process, and I can't imagine it's particularly different for for Ineos either. They're they're the other bidders; they're still waiting. Uh, that's that's where it stands at the moment. Just to add my personal opinion to that, I mean, I think I've said all along I have my doubts whether the Glazers actually wanted to sell whether they were just fishing out for a minority stake, some some investment. And that's that's a feeling um, shared by people at the, the Rain yeah. Group as well, who the merchant bankers tasked with selling the club and people connected to them feel as though they've in a way they've been sold a pup in that they've been told to sell something that is that is unsellable things may change rain's reputation i don't think is going to be particularly harmed by it because you'd think they they'll still be in line to to sell the next giant uh, european club um having overseen the chelsea sale last year but it's uh, it's 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 starting to look like they've been sold, uh, you know, been given a bit of a hospital pass. You'd hear to buy a house from the Glazers, wouldn't you? Imagine if you had a few kids, you were in a chain, you were waiting to move. Uh, you wouldn't get the keys very quickly. I, I doubt, anyways. Anyways, we'll no, leave that I for part imagine. one. Yeah, we'll leave that for part one. We'll be back in a moment for part two. So Samuel, we'll start um, by discussing some transfer business, which to be honest seems a bit trivial after the first part, but um, there has been some movement this week really uh, regarding Harry Maguire's future. We know the club accepted a, a 30 million bid for the centre-back. Did we talk who, about Maguire on Tuesday? Did we speak uh, about Samuel, him? you don't call the shot here. I'm the host. Uh, <laughs> let me speak, please. Um, uh, they agreed a deal. Obviously, it's it's looking to, to be unlikely now, Samuel. Um, 
are you surprised at that really because I know you wrote a piece was it on Thursday maybe on Wednesday about how it's going to be a test of his ambition because look he's not playing at United he's fourth choice centre back now Lindelof came on uh, instead of him against Wolves and to be honest he just needs to go and get regular football and it, to be honest it's looking like he's going to stay now though isn't it well I challenge you to name another club that is not based in Saudi Arabia that will stump up £30 million and want to sign him permanently in the next, what, two weeks, I think it is now? I couldn't um, do it unless he's going to Al-Nasir. Yeah, I don't think there's a single Premier League club that seems viable for that. Maybe there's an overseas club that would do it, but... Maguire has always struck me as one of those players that I've I've always struggled to envisage seeing him you know, playing abroad as well. And if if he's looking for any comfort, all I can offer him is that uh, when I was at Old Trafford on on Thursday, getting getting my little boy's shirt printed, the the boy in front who he was he must have been about nine maybe ten uh the the choice of name he got prints on his shirt was Maguire five and it was a new what, what shirt what did he do well. to deserve so, that do you think that was a, do you think that was was, a punishment do you think he'd be naughty throughout the week and that was his uh... it, it, he it didn't look as though he was coerced uh, into <laughs> it and uh he didn't bear a striking resemblance to Harry Maguire either so I don't think he was a relative but if that's uh, if that's comfort for Maguire, then uh, he, he probably doesn't want to see what Ten Hag said at his press conference because he was asked um, he, he was asked outright what what would Maguire have to do uh, to get more playing time, and all he said was it's up to him. And then there was a pause like that there, and, and he very, was prompted very to say a little Ten bit Hag, more. Isn't it? It is, yeah. I think he is growing a bit weary of talking about Harry Maguire. Uh, Maguire's a source you know he's he's a is a topic that's a source of fascination for a lot of journalists and reporters because he was the united captain he is an england international he is the most expensive defender in the world i don't think united fans are as fascinated by harry Maguire. i think the only point of fascination with him is if he is sold within the next two weeks and at the moment it's looking unlikely having looked likely this time last week but Really, Ten Hag is still being quite consistent with what he's saying that you know, he's happy for Maguire to stay because they need four or five good centre backs or experienced centre backs. They have got that, and where they have got that, that doesn't give them the leverage to go out there and sign a new centre half that would probably be more aligned with what what Ten Hag wants. Um, I found it a little bit peculiar that of the names United were looking at, none of them, I believe, are left footers. And I'd have thought that would have been a specific um, a, a specific requirement given Ten Hag's preference to play left-footers on the left side, right-footers on the right side. And of course, he's got three right-footers and, and one left-footer of the specialist centre-backs. But as it stands, Maguire is, is a no-go. Uh, but when we do get closer to deadline, clubs do tend to... Yeah, they they blink a lot more. They they've held their nerve for such a long time, but then there can be a bit of a flurry of activity. I mean, how many times on deadline day have there been deals that nobody ever saw coming just because panic sets in and it's it's needs must? But it still feels difficult to identify a, a top tier English club that would stump up the cash for Maguire now. 
do you remember Peter Odin Wingy turning up to the training ground in his car in Sky Sports that yeah. was a bit deadline vintage moment that wasn't it that the was January 2013 of, I think it was that yeah, was impressive was. you can pull that out uh, obviously you have a few players up for sale Eric Bailly um, Brandon Williams Donny van der Beek I mean we laughed we didn't even realise really when we were at the game on Monday that van der Beek had been left out the squad until I think and now we're in oh, half an hour after the team news was announced which shows how much of a footnote he's become um Fee-wise, between those three players, Samuel, how much realistically do you think we could raise? Do you think we could? Uh, think the club could get ten million for those players? Because that's what it's probably looking like at this point. I mean, by service requirements, he wasn't given a provisional uh, shirt number. Brandon Williams has hardly played much football, really. We were obviously at Norwich alone, and Donny Van der Beek's Donny Van der Beek, isn't he? Well, Van der Beek is probably the most valuable of the three of them. In in the he, there's quite a lot of time left in his contract and he's he's 26 and he's certainly more suited for another league he's certainly not suited for the Premier League he couldn't hack it at Everton never mind at United and he's, his number was up at United two years ago when he wanted to join Everton on loan that summer and it didn't happen he had to wait until the January for it to happen and a, and a change of manager as well I think uh, might have taken place by then with, with Frank Lampard coming in I, I thought Van der Beek looked a, a good, cost-efficient deal at the time, but for, for various reasons, it's it's not worked. And the fact that they're looking to get him out now, whilst his his old Ajax coach, who was the making of him, is in charge, that, that there's no coming back from that. I don't think they they need that deal to happen. But those discussions of they, they started best part of three weeks ago. It feels like and. It's it's slowed down. There have not been any updates to offer on it this week. These players all know well the, the, their position in the squad, which is is barely squad player. And again, it might be that when you get close to deadline, you think, okay, I've I've just got to go now. What what's out there? Or let's let's take that option that we've we we've looked at and we've been mulling over. Uh, but you'd think it's in these players interest that they just get out as soon as possible but it just doesn't work like that a lot of the time and especially August is such a an interesting month as far as players and how settled they are and whether they should go or whether they should stay because you've not got midweek games if you're a, a one of the top six clubs or a club that have qualified for Europe um, there's there's no first round second round of the league cup or anything like that it's a week maybe more between games and although squads have been expanded to 20 in recent years for, for match days, there are still going to be a number of players who can't get on the bench and Donny van der Beek can get on the bench. And unless there are injuries or suspensions this month, I don't see how he does get on the bench for Man United. So you start the season not getting on the bench in three or four games and, and, and all the signs are suggesting, look, you should go, go, go and get a move, etc. Your mind should be made up for you, and he seemed to make up his mind a couple of years ago when he wanted to join Everton on loan. So, it's it, that 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 has got to be frustrating for United supporters. Uh, I don't necessarily understand why some supporters would want Van der Beek to stay. It's peculiar that he posts something on Instagram with a muscle emoji and a smiley face, and people think that's him staying. I mean, did you see his post from Dublin where he's saying, you know, he gives the impression that he enjoyed it and given the illusion that he actually played well when in reality he was the only player that was substituted at halftime because he was such a lost cause against Athletic Bilbao. Uh, it, he's, you know, it's all been said and done on Van der Beek. He just, he just needs to go. 
and as well as United have done without Goins this summer, it's it's been a lot better than usual. But it could still be a lot better. Uh, they've certainly they they are targeting at least three more sales slash permanent departures because in the case of Bay, it wouldn't surprise me if it gets to a point where they just think we've got to pay up pay up the rest of his contract if he's not going to get a move although i think the saudi is the saudi arabia transfer window open for a little bit longer it's a little bit later klopp, yeah it's a little bit longer yeah klopp was klopp was complaining about that Loves given that they've taken to, yeah he certainly does but they given that they've taken two of liverpool's midfielders so that that might play into united's hands it happened 4 years ago when during that some there were a couple of summers where the Premier League window transfer window for Premier League clubs closed before the season started, but United was still doing business. Uh, I think Matteo Damian, Chris Smalling, they they went to Parma and, and and Roma after the the Premier League window had closed. So there's still a there's a slightly longer window available for Eric Bay, but I can't imagine that many Saudi clubs are are looking at Brandon Williams as as someone to bring in. To be fair, the Van der Beek spoke quite openly about his future in the mix zone after the Leon game at Murrayfield when I was there. Yeah, um, exactly. Obviously admitted that he wanted to leave and, and for for a fresh challenge for minutes, and it's within his best interest. If you look at someone like Brandon Williams, I kind of get the feeling he'd be comfortable just sitting around and kind of seeing out of his deal. He's a local lad. He, he supports the club, but uh, we talked about Maguire's ambition. Surely, if you're a Williams, you put yourself in his shoes. If you're his age at this stage of your career, go and kick on. Go somewhere else, challenge yourself. Even if it's a drop down to the championship, it's it's gonna be way better than making the odd Premier League match day squad and, and playing for the under twenty ones at least sports village, because he's beyond that now, really. Uh, you know, that's that's for nineteen year olds. Contract year olds, next level. year as well, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, I, I know it's so there's actually there's nine players out of contract next year, Samuel. Wan Basaka, Lindelof, Martial, Hannibal, Williams, Fernandez, uh, Alvaro, I must add, uh, Eric Bailly, Ted and Menji and Tom Heaton. Tom Heaton's the only one that doesn't have uh, obviously the option for another year. The club's got the option for another year on uh, and all the other players there. Doesn't so. doesn't Mejbri not have is, is there an option on him oh there would have been I think that's it I think when Rich did the story about him going to Birmingham I think he he rejected a contract extension on top of his contract so it's it still must be that that contract that he signed in 2021 yeah because yeah, um, he signed a new deal so yeah gotcha so I mean it, it's going to be interesting approaching next summer I mean it could finally be the end of Anthony Martial at Manchester United which is probably going to be a good thing because I keep saying paper mache but you keep correcting Samuel and saying it's paper, paper was it papier mache there's an eye um, very okay. elo- eloquently said of course uh, anyways we'll leave that there for part two and we'll come back in a moment for part three Samuel, another football game on Saturday night. Tottenham Hotspur, Manchester United, Saturday evening, the 5.30 kickoff. Yourself and Tyrone, who's back from holiday, travelling down to the capital at the, uh, London, I was going to say the North London Stadium. Um, but the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium is the correct name, of course. Uh, it's not where West Ham play. Uh, the Tottenham fans would be very offended at that. Uh, United, obviously, they were almost get a fantastic result in April when they visited Tottenham last season. They went 2-0 up. Remember that fantastic goal from Jadon Sancho when he picked out the bottom corner? Marcus Rashford doubled the score before half time and somehow Samuel Tottenham got a got a draw, didn't they? Two two in that second half. United clapped. So what are you expecting really from the game? It, there's been a lot of change at Tottenham. Harry Kane's went to Bayern Munich. That's going to be huge this season. Obviously, Ange Postacoglu is now the manager. Um and I think he's probably the most likable manager in the league, Samuel. I love his press conferences. Whether that translates into success on the pitch, 
I guess uh, remains to be seen but what, what are your expectations for, for Saturday evening because I guess United's away record it, it was a problem last season they won eight games on the road away from home and six of them came against the, the six bottom sides so that's a clear area for improvement and I guess there's no better place to start than Tottenham on Saturday it's it, it, it's a difficult one to um, to preview in the Tottenham against Brentford there was there were some good things about them but they also look very Tottenham they've got a new goalkeeper they've spent big on a new centre half but they still need a right back I mean Emerson Royale is is not up to it and I think it's going to take Postecoglou a while to imprint his approach on that team uh, it's it must be reassuring for Spurs that they've got Bissouma playing from the start of this season because Conte just didn't seem to fancy him which was peculiar given what a good player he'd been at Brighton and at the time it seemed like a very good move by by Spurs to get him in but I still think that they look short in central midfield I've never been particularly convinced by Oliver Skip and of course they are undeniably weaker without Harry Kane yet you still look at that front four and there's a lot of quality there. James Madison, I'd have had at United over Mason Mount. Son Heung-min has had a pretty poor year, but you write him off for his power league can be one of the most devastating wingers in, in, in world football when he's on it. Kulusevski, I think he's, he's quite an unassuming player at times, but he's an important player for Spurs and they tend to be better when he is playing. I think he's got bags of quality. Richarlison is is a mercurial striker. He's not had the best of times at Tottenham, but maybe he'll be emboldened now that that Kane has gone. So, as I said, mercurial is the right word. I think that that probably best describes this, this current Tottenham team. And I, I really would be surprised if they got the top four this season. Postacoglu, from what I hear, is a very, very impressive coach. He certainly does talk a good game. He's very personable. Uh, he did a terrific job at Celtic. Then again, I think you or I could do a terrific job at Celtic. That said, he he must have a lot about him to have got that job at Spurs because the, the competition was, was, was quite intense uh, and, and Spurs almost looked like they were fudging it and or it was history was almost repeating itself like that summer when they turned to, to Nuno Espirito Santo having you know, dismissed him initially in the process but there is certainly uncertainty enough uncertainty in that Tottenham team and United are a more settled side despite how they played on Monday night to, to make you think that you should be, you know, I mean, you should fancy United. You'd, one would have more confidence about United if they'd performed or they recorded a statement uh, style win over Wolves and they didn't do that. But Tottenham, I think, will be gifting them chances. That said, if United don't address their looseness in midfield, they'll be gifting Tottenham chances as well. So it, it might it might play out somewhat similarly to that April game where. United were dominant in the first half, then they lost their way in the second half and in the end it seemed like both teams were almost settling for a 2-2 draw and, and Tottenham would probably would have been the, the happier with the final result given that they were 2-0 down at half-time. But United's away record, that, that has to be, that's an obvious area of improvement for this season. Ten Hag has said that. I think they only got eight wins away from home last season. Only one was against a top 12 team. Six of those eight wins were against teams in the bottom six. So in a way, it was, it was good that they were quite clinical and quite consistently um, 
you know, c- consistent with their performances and results against the fodder of the league. But they they did suffer some absolute trouncings on the road last season. And the Arsenal defeat, slender though it was, I think the scoreline was was flattering. That that really did flatter United that day, losing three two. I think Arsenal were by far and away the superior side. The XG was incredibly interesting out there, Samuel. I know you love XG. Expected I know, goals. yeah. United were in naught point something, but they scored two point zero goals. <laughs> if uh, if that's how nerds. Want I think my favourite moment from Monday night when we were in the press box was obviously we will have TVs there uh, by by where we're sitting, and uh, Sky Sports flashed up a graphic showing how many shots Wolves had, and you were God, God, look at that. And I went, yeah, but the only thing that matters is the XG. That's, so that is a stat XG that to try, uh, I've never had a problem with that. I've never had a problem with that stat. Uh, I think if you go back to the the Halcyon days of, of Sky, Sky in the 90s and Monday Night Football, the key stats of possession, shots on target, shots attempted, that's fine by me. And that, that, was, that was genuinely interesting the other night. I mean, the fact that Wolves had the second most attempts at goal at Old Trafford in the Premier League era was pr- pretty staggering given that they changed changed managers what five days earlier um you know that 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 just showed you how loose United were and it was their good fortune they were coming up against a team that have never really been particularly clinical or, or potent since they got back into the Premier League five years ago you know as I went down to walk to the mix zone I had a quick chat with him um, and analysis from Wolves and I said God you must feel unlucky not to get something from that game mate and he went well do you know what it was a really encouraging performance and he said we'll not play as good a sides as them all season so it'll be interesting to see how Wolves got on this weekend actually after their performance at Old Trafford because uh, it was a it was really good promising display anyway just for Gary O'Neill in his first game in charge uh, regarding personnel then Samuel um, I'm looking forward to seeing James Madison play again he's impressive against Brentford he's, he's brilliant um, and he'll obviously come against United's midfield who underperformed against Wolves I think Casemiro was the only one there to emerge with some credit Fernandez and Mount were both quite poor to be honest but as I've wrote uh, in my panel for the morning I mean it's probably not time for, for knee-jerk reactions it was just the opening game of the season United did get the three points so he's not exactly going to rip up that starting lineup, is he um, and make plenty of changes but for me I'd, I'd probably replace Ganacho with Sancho on the left I was very strong for Ganacho at the start of that game um, but he did, did, did disappoint I mean he wasn't the only one and I thought Sancho was probably right off the bench when he came on and he obviously scored as I, as I mentioned earlier against Tottenham in this fixture away from home so would you make any changes to the side uh, for Saturday evening? Our sagacious colleague Liam Corliss said that it was Garnacho's worst performance since Leeds at home in, in February and it was difficult to disagree with that and of course after that game he was dropped for Leeds away at Ellen Road he came on and he scored so that shows you that Dropping him is not a bad thing whatsoever because he he has the he has the right attitude to to, to respond in a, in a very encouraging way and he's he's been good off the bench a number of times as we discussed in midweek so he he would certainly come out of the team for me I I don't have you've probably got some kiddie fans out there who are very impressionable and think he should be starting every week he's 19 he is going to be have he's going to have to come out of the team at times and you are going to have to manage his development you don't want to pile too much pressure on him and he is surrounded by uh, senior peers there as well who can come in and, and 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 maybe provide better balance to the attack the problem United will have is that they won't have a striker starting up front again so whether it's Sancho through the middle or Rashford through the middle it really is imperfect I mean Sancho of his pre-season performances although he did he did all right by and large uh, and he was you know, certainly looking more comfortable there. It's going to be a very, very different environment. 
pitting him against a new Tottenham centre back at one of the best stadiums in the country with with points on the line in in the first home game for for, for Postecoglou as well. I, I don't necessarily think he will have it as easy as he did at Spurs in April when he, he scored brilliantly, but. He came on the other night and did quite well. He was, he was better than any of the forwards who started that game. He was a lot more direct and um, efficient with his use of the ball. So on, on that basis alone, I would certainly bring him into the team. I, I'm not necessarily sure I'd make changes elsewhere. Wambasaka deserves to start because he was United's best player the other night. The, the, there are no other areas up for debate. Martinez is fine. Ten Hag told us on Thursday, so he he should have had two training sessions going into the Tottenham game. You, you're not going to take him out of the team. He's he's. Why would you? Uh, so it, it would probably be the one change for me. So Garnacho out, Sancho in, and then you've maybe got to be on your toes to be a bit creative or uh, you know make a change with some alacrity if things aren't going your way because as I said it's it's an imperfect attack there's there's not there's not a striker there and there's I would be absolutely staggered if Anthony Marshall starts for the first the first time in what more than 12 weeks it would have been and he's not played a lot of football since then either he's not played not had a single kick in pre-season and the other night you you knew that he had about as much chance of of getting on against Wolves as as Rasmus Hoyland did we're both in agreement so you know for a fact that a 3-0 comfortable away win is going to follow because we're just absolute masterminds aren't we Samuel um, there's been some talk about Jadon Sancho possibly playing as a false nine again in a Premier League game we, we, we've discussed this after pre-season really and it, he was quite promising actually in that role um, in the States in a few games but for me I think I've said this to you a few times Samuel I'm just not convinced he's cut out for a central role I think if he is going to succeed at United because let's face it I think this season could be his last if he, if he doesn't deliver it's his third now at the club uh, since joining from Dortmund then it's going to be on the wing uh, the, the problem is his best position's on the left isn't it and Marcus Rashford has that spot nailed down and, he, and he's better on the left Rashford as well and he's, he's uh, Rashford is certainly not a centre forward so whoever it is, is it's imperfect but I quite like the comment uh, from, from Guardiola when he was on Friday Night Football last week and he went pitch side and they showed the City graphic and they said this is how we think you're going to line up and he said it's not going to be like that for the whole game or he said words to that effect and, and he's completely correct like how a, get, how a team line up on paper this day and age it has to change and with Sancho and Rashford you'd be encouraging them to swap positions and to try and interchange and, and flummox Tottenham and, and use use the absence of, of a striker to their advantage really uh, because it, it could it could work um, or, or it might not work as, as we said we're, we're not convinced by either of them as centre forwards and that might play into Tottenham's hands but on their day they both can be very effective wingers and, and that might make the difference yeah the average position graphics that you get uh, from data companies are always really interesting after games and it shows you the, the positions players have actually taken up for the majority of the match I think it was interesting Rashford only took four touches after 20 minutes against Wolves and by the end of the game he'd only had 38 touches which was the fewest of any United player even fewer than Sandra Martinez who was, who was taken off at, at half time obviously as a centre back he is bound to touch the ball more but it just shows you how isolated really uh, Rashford was and we, we observed his body language a few times he looked frustrated didn't he um, it was a bit anonymous yeah there was a point towards yeah, towards the end of the first half, he had a bit of a strop, didn't he? Yeah. Um, anyways, that'll be it, Samuel, for today. Uh, you 
taking the train down to London or are you driving down London? It will be, tomorrow, yeah, it will be a, a train journey down to, to Euston and meet, possibly meeting Simon Peach in a, a nearby watering hole uh, oh, to watch excellent. Southampton, excellent. Plymouth, apparently, yeah. But of course, we will, we will not be not be drinking alcohol because we're, we're, we're professional. We've, we've got to prepare for a game as well. We've got to have of water, please, clear yeah. heads. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> right, thank you very much for your time, Samuel. Thank you, Stephen. And thanks to listeners, as always, have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy the game on Saturday evening. Uh, check out the podcast on all the usual uh, audio platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. And as usual, check out the YouTube channel. So thank you again and have a good weekend. Take care.